Thank you, Pete. Thank you, worship team. Um, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Matt Maestas, and I'm privileged to serve on the teaching team at New City Church. I was uh, blessed to be with you a few months ago, and they couldn't decide if it was terrible or not, so they just asked me to come back. Um, if uh, this, this picture here, my oldest daughter, Gracie, drew this picture as uh, the kids of New City are um, drawing stuff about uh, through the eyes of the child, and so she got picked for this, and the other staff folks at New City were giving me a hard time, so they're like, hey, Maestas, uh, your daughter drew a pretty good wine glass there. She's seen a few of those before. I said, no, guys, come on. You know the wine in my house comes in a box. It doesn't come in a fancy glass like that. Um, that's a joke, just in case you, you need to be made aware, but that's a joke this morning. Um, we're talking about through the eyes of the child, how we see Christmas that week, uh, that way. And last week we talked about sitting at the kids' table, and this week we're going to talk about moving up to the big table for Christmas. And we're going to worship through communion a little bit later, thinking of that big table. And I was reminded of some experiences at the table from when I was uh, younger. Uh, I spent a lot of my life growing up in my grandparents' house, lived with them for quite a while. And during one of those seasons, my grandfather had surgery, and he had to be on oxygen for a little bit. Not really because he needed it to live, it was more for his comfort. And so in the evenings, I often found myself in the basement watching television with my grandpa, and his favorite things to watch were uh, professional wrestling and law and order, all right? So we would sit there in the evenings, and he would chew red man tobacco, and uh, had this spit tune next to him, and we'd watch television, and his, one of his favorite things to do is he'd take his oxygen cord, and he would, he would cord it up. He'd you know, make a, a length of it, and I was sitting next to him, and he would just hit me with it, right? Not very hard, but just kind of to let me know, hey, I'm here, and I, I, will, I will whoop you, right? So he'd just like whack me with it, just whack, whack, whack. And so after a while, when I started to get fed up with it, I would grab it. I'd grab the, the cord, and I'd pinch it like this, and I'd give him this like look, you know, and after I'd be holding on to it for about 30 seconds, a minute or so, he would start to convulse like he was running out of air. It was his joke. <laughs> and then we'd have a really good laugh. I mean, this happened like every night that we'd watch television together. Well, fast forward to Thanksgiving, and we're upstairs eating, and my mom is there, and my sister, and my grandmother, and my uncle, and his wife, and we're eating this meal together. And I'm, my grandpa's sitting at the head of the table, and I'm sitting next to him. And about halfway through the meal, he cords up his oxygen cord, right? Just the same way he does. It's our thing that we do together, right? And he starts whacking me with it. Just whack, whack. And everyone at the table is kind of laughing at me, you know, and I'm kind of looking at him, giving him a sideways glance. And then after some time, as I do regularly, I grab that cord and I pinch it with my, my finger. And I give him this awful look. And he looks at me, and then after time, he does, he plays his part, right? And he goes, <gasps> and he starts gasping, and, and every, here's the problem. Nobody else at the table is in on our joke, right? So my mother is seated next to me, and she starts hitting me, like, Matthew, Matthew, let go, let go, you're killing him, you're killing him, he's dying. And I'm like, what is happening right now? Like, I don't understand. And then my uncle dives across the table Thanksgiving, and the Thanksgiving goes everywhere, and he knocks me over because I'm in a chair, and he slides, and I fall completely back. There's food everywhere, and my grandpa's laughing hysterically. I'm confused, laughing, not knowing what's going on. Needless to say, nobody else thought the joke was as funny as my grandfather, and I thought it was funny. So that meal 
was very unexpected, to say the least. Today, church, as we look at the Gospel of Luke, we're going to read another story about one unexpected family, the meal that they shared, and how it changed them, and it changed the world. If you have your Bible, I invite you to open with me to the book of Luke, chapter 22. We're going to find ourselves there in just a little bit, the book of Luke, chapter 22. Usually at Christmas time, we think about the beginning of the story of the earthly life of Jesus, and we're going to turn our attention to something that happens towards the end of this part of the story in the life of Jesus. I'll remind you that the book of Luke was written by Luke. It's not a trick. Um, He wrote also the book of Acts, and he wrote it as kind of a two-part letter to a friend of his, a guy named Theophilus, which means lover of God, and he was a wealthy guy, and he asked Luke, who was a doctor and traveling companion of Paul, Theophilus knew that Luke knew the story well and knew some of the people involved, and so Theophilus asked Luke to write him an account of these things that he'd heard about Jesus. So if you read Luke chapter 1 and you read Acts chapter 1, they sound very similar. Luke says, I'm writing these, writing these things to you, Theophilus, so you'll know the truth about the things that you've heard. You'll know the truth. And he writes to him, telling him how all these promises about this one called the Messiah in the Old Testament come true in the person and work of Jesus. And so it's all about promises made and promises kept. And then when you read the book of Acts, you read how all of these promises that Jesus made about what would happen after he, was, after he died and after he was resurrected and what would happen in the early church come true. Everybody say promises. Luke is all about promises, promises made, promises kept. And here, towards the end of the story in the earthly life of Jesus, in Luke chapter 22, we see Jesus gathering his disciples to share with them, and as a result, we learn some very important things. So I'm going to read verses 7 through 23 today, and then we're going to focus in really on verses 14 through 23. So hear the word of the Lord in Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 7. Then the day of unleavened bread came when the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. That's a big deal in the Jewish tradition, the sacrifice of the Passover. Jesus sent Peter and John. I don't know where James was. All right, he had the day off, apparently. Go and prepare the Passover meal for us so we can eat it. So that's what James and and Peter, excuse me, that's what Peter and John do. Where do you want us to prepare it, they asked him. Listen, he said to them. When you've entered the city, a man carrying a water jug. I love this story. Can you imagine, like, Jesus, like, go do this. Like, how are we going to do it? Hey, go see this guy and just tell him that we need a place and he's going to take care of it for you. Like, okay, Jesus, we've seen you do some crazy stuff, so right, right on, right? When you've entered the city, a man carrying a water jug will meet you. Follow him into the house he enters. Tell the owner of the house, the teacher asks you, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished room upstairs. Make the preparations there. So they went and found it just as he had told them. No duh, right? When Jesus says something's going to happen, it happens. And they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, he reclined at the table, that's Jesus, and the apostles with him. Then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them, and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant established by my blood. It is shed for you. But look, the hand of the one betraying me is at the table with me. For the Son of Man will go away as it's been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. So they began to argue among themselves which of them it could be who is going to do this thing. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the gift of this meal. We thank you for the gift of your life that gives us the opportunity to share in your death, burial, and resurrection. And as we sit under the authority of your word this morning, God, we pray that you would change us. God, that you would change us, that we'd be a different kind of people when we leave than when we came because you're a different kind of God and you call us to be different. We pray that as we talk about this first, last supper today, Jesus, that we would be encouraged in who we can invite to share in our table, just as you invited the disciples to share at your table. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Church, my purpose in preaching to you this morning is very straightforward. It's so that you'll remember that the best life happens around our shared table. The best life happens around our shared table. We're going to share at a table a little bit later today as the family of God. And as we do so, we're going to think about the tables that we share in in our homes and be reminded that our best life happens around shared table. And I want to encourage you and ask, and and hopefully that you'll invite others into the blessing of sharing at your table. A couple questions for you to consider this morning as we move through the message. Number one, who isn't at my table that needs to be? Who isn't at my table that needs to be. When you think about this holiday season, and we've just finished up with Thanksgiving and heading towards Christmas and the new year, there were people that should have been at your table. And maybe they were there because of decisions they've made. Maybe they were there, they were invited and they didn't come. Maybe they weren't invited. But who wasn't there that needs to be? And secondly, once you've identified who wasn't at that table, what's keeping you from inviting people to that table? I think there are mainly three reasons that keep us from inviting people to the table, and we'll talk about them a little bit later, but I'm going to give them to you right now. First, I think that we don't invite people to our table because we're afraid. We're afraid. We're afraid what they might say, afraid of what they might do. We're afraid they'll say no. Secondly, I think we don't invite people to the table because we don't have anyone to invite. We're isolated. We've isolated ourselves from others. We don't have relationships with anybody. We're isolated. Or finally, I think we don't invite people to the table because we're ignorant. We don't know how to do it. We're afraid. The good news is all of these questions or problems or barriers are entirely solvable. They're entirely solvable. And we'll talk a little bit about that as we move through the message this morning. Today, church, we're talking about what happens at our table. And we'll see that there are primarily, there are many, but for us today, there are three things that happen at our table. We share. We build. And we plan. At our table, we share, we build, and our plan. The first thing that we share at our table is food. Food, we share food. Last time I was with you, I talked about making ribs. Amen? And you know what I made yesterday? I made brisket. And as I ate my brisket, I gloried in the God who made brisket. Amen? Because brisket is proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. Whenever you meet somebody that doesn't believe in God, you meet an atheist, you just say, bro, what about brisket, right? 
The same thing goes with avocados, Italian sausage, baseball. All of these things are proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. Every single one of them. You say, Matt, what does that have to do with anything? Listen, our God gave us food not just so that we could live, but so that we could enjoy it. And one of the best things that we can do is take joy in this food that God gives us because he gives it to us for that. And there's something so good about standing in your kitchen at 2 a.m., eating brisket out of a bag. But there's something so much better about eating that brisket when it's warm in the company of other people. It's so much better. It's better. Friends, when we share food, barriers come down, and so do defenses. And because of that, we need to eat with others as much as possible. We eat with other people as much as possible. Now, most of you eat three times a day, seven days a week. Amen? You guys do that? The rest of you are lying. You eat like five or six times a day, right? Yeah, more or less. Some of you go, yeah, you're, you're on to me, right? We talk a lot about stewardship at New City Church and, and stewarding the resources that God gives us. The same should go for, for our meals. What would it look like if you tithed your meals? Well, you say, Matt, what do you mean? Well, what would it look like over the course of the week if you made a decision to eat one meal a week with someone who's believing and someone connect, or someone connected to the church? What if you made a decision to eat one meal a week with someone who's disconnected from God or disconnected from the church? And then you ate one spare. And that way you could make use of this time and these resources that God gives you. Some of you are sitting here saying, Matt, you're telling me I need to eat three dinners, like have people into my home three times a week? Hey, if God leads you in that way, yes, go, do, be blessed, do that. But I'm saying that just share one, one meal that you have. Guys, maybe that's at lunch sometime when you're working. Hey, grab, grab lunch with a guy who's disconnected. Grab lunch with a guy who's connected in some way. Hell, it didn't be an encouragement to you. Ladies, maybe that's, hey, grab a cup of coffee one time a week with somebody who's disconnected from God or disconnected from the church. But in that way, just make the best use of these times that God gives you. You know, if we did that, we could literally eat people into the kingdom. Is there any better way to share the gospel than around a meal? If you need an excuse or a reason to eat, make it, let it be that. Like, I'm, hey man, I got to share the gospel with this guy. We're going to go and have a burrito, right? Chipotle is an emissary of the kingdom. This is the gateway into the kingdom of God is the carnitas burrito with guacamole because of the avocado, right? That's, that, that is a channel into the kingdom of God. When you sit there, you eat like, bro, avocado, God loves you and wants you to be happy. <laughs> eat, eat and be good, right? Be, be well fed. Friends, when we, at the table, we share. We share food and we also share life. The table is a place of common connection and a place of incredible life. Uh, if you have children in the home or you've had children in your home, you know that the table is very rarely a dull place. <laughs> Something's always going on at the table, whether the food is where it's supposed to be or the food is definitely not where it's supposed to be. Uh, my, my wife hates our dog, I'm just going to say. We've had this dog, uh, we, he, we had him B.C. before children, and uh, so he used to be like the most beloved creature in the house, and now he's like a second-class citizen. Um, but the only time my wife loves the dog is when we're eating, because he collects everything that falls on the floor that comes from the hands of my children, right? So the table is a place of incredible joy. It's a place of deep 
and joyful laughter. Uh, when Jessica and I got married, we got married uh, Thanksgiving weekend 13 years ago. And so a lot of my friends that came in for the wedding, my high school and college friends, um, and my family came in early. They came in the day before Thanksgiving. And so that year we all gathered at uh, Jessica's grandparents' house, and we had this enormous Thanksgiving and my friends tried to convince my wife not to marry me. And then by the stories they told, they tried to convince my in-laws not to let my wife marry me. And at the end of the meal, uh, we sat around and Jessica's grandpa collects guitars, buys, sells, trades. And a lot of my friends are musical. And so we just, we sang and we remembered the things that we had done together. And it was a time of incredible joy. And our tables are like that. But our tables are also places of deep and mournful pain. A few years ago, uh, some friends of ours who are believers, we built some relationships with some people who are far from Jesus, and we'd just been living life with them. And at one point, we had them in our home, we, as we did regularly. And at one of these meals where we had them over, one of the, the gals that we'd been sharing life with told us that she was going to leave her husband. She shared this, this, this pain with us, and we had the opportunity to just tell her and remind her that what she was think she was running from and what she was running to would never satisfy this hole that was in her life that could only be filled by Jesus. That this thing that she thought would give her meaning and joy and fulfillment would only cause her further separation if she didn't give her life completely to the Messiah. And those opportunities, those things would never have been possible if we didn't make an effort to invite her into our home and invite her into our life. And here when we read in Luke 22, this meal that Jesus is sharing with his disciples, this time of deep and joyful laughter and deep and joyful pain, we can read it as a microcosm of the life and ministry of Jesus. Here's Jesus, he's sharing his life with his disciples, he's inviting them into his work, and sometimes they get it incredibly right. He tells, James, he tells Peter and, and, James, excuse me, Peter and John to go and make preparation, and they, they're obedient, and they go and do that. But a little bit later, we see them get it incredibly wrong. In verse 23, they begin arguing among themselves as to who is going to betray. And in verse 24, it tells us that a dispute arose among them who, about who should be the greatest. And we saw that in the ministry of Jesus with his disciples too, didn't we? There were times when they got it incredibly right. There were times when they got it right, when he sent them out and they came back. And they praised God for what they saw the Lord do. He said, God, it's like we literally saw Satan fall from heaven. And Jesus told them, rejoice in that. That's great. But more than that, rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. And we saw them do incredible things. When Peter said, Jesus, I, I believe that you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter got it incredibly right. But there were times when they all got it incredibly wrong. There was a time when he sent them out and they went and they said, Jesus, these people, they're not listening. You just want us to call down fire from heaven? Jesus, whoa, <laughs> time out, right? You're, you missed it. There was a time right after Peter said that you're the Christ, the son of the living God, when Jesus turned to him and said, get behind me, Satan. You're not mindful of the things of God. Right after he told him, man hasn't revealed things to you, but only God has. And a little bit later with Peter, we see him deny the Savior. Three times after Jesus said he would, Peter said, no, I'll give my life for you. And he said, no, you're not, Peter. You're going to deny me. Deny me three times. But church, regardless 
of how the disciples responded, Jesus is always inviting them, isn't he? He always invites them. Think about Peter again for a minute. Remember what happened after the denial? What does Jesus do? He invites him to come and eat, doesn't he? He says, Peter, come here. Look, look, let's eat this, this fish. I made this breakfast for you. And he restores him. He says, Peter, do you love me? He says, Lord, you know. You know. And he restores him. Oh, friends, Jesus is inviting you and he's restoring you this morning. Wherever you are in your relationship with Jesus, I want to tell you this morning that Jesus is inviting you right now today. He's inviting you to his table where he's the bread of life. He's inviting you to come and to eat with him. In scripture, he tells us that the people that are listening, especially his disciples, says, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon me and learn from me because, upon you and learn from me because my yoke is easy and my burden is light and I'll give you rest for your soul. Friend, if you're here today and you need rest for your soul, I invite you to come to the table and sit with King Jesus. If you need rest for the things that make you weary, I tell you to come. If you're hungry for, for the bread of life, I tell you to come and to sit with Jesus. If you're thirsty for things that this world will never satisfy, I tell you to come and to sit with Jesus. Come and sit with Jesus. When we gather at the table, we share food, life, but next we share stories. When we gather at the table, we share stories of remember. I grew up um, on my dad's side of the family. He has 15 brothers and sisters, big Hispanic family. And so when we get together, I call it the Mexican family hoedown, all right? And we, would, we tell stories, and most of them are about my cousin Joey, who's a few years younger than me. And we'd be like, guys, you remember that time that Joey jumped his bike off the railroad bridge? Guys, you remember that time that Joey stole the neighbor's lawnmower? You remember when, when Joey took a baseball off, the, off of his head? Right? And y'all, those aren't examples. Those are real. Right? All of those things actually happened. They happen, but we tell these incredible stories of remember, and we tell stories about the time when our, our cousin Art, we, we were in some serious trouble. We'd done something really bad, and, and my, my uncles were coming to, ca- we'd done some things bad to them because they were like getting, like they had a little bit too much to drink, and they were getting after it, right? And we played a prank on them, and then they found out, and they were coming after us, and our cousin Art said, don't worry about it. I got it, and our, our older cousin Art Took, stood in our place and he took our punishment for us. He took the penalty that was about to be meted out for us. And friends, when Jesus gathers with his disciples at the first last supper, he's reminding them of the long story that God has been writing and telling them how they're involved now and paints a picture of where they're headed to together. And as we gather at this table a little bit later, we do the same. But instead of my cousin Art, we talk about our big brother Jesus. We gather in the house of God, our Father, and we talk about our big brother Jesus and how he took our penalty for us. We talk about the time our big brother Jesus, when he stood in our place, and we knew that there was punishment that we deserved, and he went to the cross for us, and he took the penalty from our our Father God so that we could have the opportunity to be made right in our relationship with our dad again. He took our, our penalty he was, scripture says that he was pierced for our transgressions. And the punishment 
for our peace was upon him and that by his wounds we are healed. We're healed, we're made, we're made right. Oh, Christian, God's desire for you this morning is for incredible healing. It's for you to be made right. And the way that he made provision for that is by sending his son, Jesus, our big brother, to pay the penalty for us. And when we gather at this communion table, we remember that. We remember our King Jesus, our big brother. Because, friends, the, ch- the chapter of the story that began in the manger doesn't end with the cross, but finds completion in the empty tomb. And the disciples are living out of this resurrection life of Jesus as agents and ambassadors of the ever-present kingdom of God. And that's what we're invited to enter into as well. Agents and ambassadors of the kingdom. And we live that out every day. We share food, life, and stories. But next, we build at the table. We build into each other. Because it's in eating together that we find the best way to bless and to find commonality. And when we do that, it's an incredible act of intimacy when we share with somebody at our table the food that we made with our own hands by the provision that God gave us. Do you see how incredibly intimate that is? When we have somebody sit at our table and we say, I made this for you. I, I used the resources that God gave me. And, I, and I, I labored in this kitchen for you. And, and here, here you're at my table and it's a blessing for you to be here. It blesses me that you're here. And when we do that, incredible barriers come down. The table is where our most honest selves come out. And those of you who, again, those of you who had children who have, you know that as big of a face, good of a face you want to put on, all that goes away when people come to your home and see your children at your table, don't it, doesn't it? You can pretend all you want, but it's tr- whatever's happening there, that's real life. That's real life. Because that's when your kids remind you of everything you ever said, right or wrong. Dad, you remember when you said this to me, or you called me this name? Uh, no, 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 son. You, you must misremember that. You must have seen that on a, on a television program. Because that definitely did not come out of my mouth. I did not say that to you, right? No, it doesn't work doesn't work our truest and honest selves come out and we build into each other but next we build into our common story in verse 19 of Luke 22 Jesus tells them about their common story and he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and said this is my body which is broken which is given for you do this in remembrance of me friends it's not a mistake that a lot of our memories revolve around food and who we eat it with And when we eat and we drink, we do it because it's good. It's no surprise that Instagram, over 200 million posts are about food. Literally, about food. We love to share food even when we're not there. This doesn't make any sense, right? Look at this food that you're not able to eat, right? I ate it and it was awesome. And if you were awesome, you'd be eating it too, right? We do that because we love to share and we love to remember things. And when we eat and when we drink, we do it as, as an act of thanksgiving, and that's what we do today. When we take this table a little bit later, we look forward and we look back. We look back and we celebrate all God has done in and through and around us, and we celebrate repeating those stories of remember in our shared history and the big story we have of remember in the family of God. We look forward and we cry hopeful tears and pray hopeful prayers about what God will do, begging Him for certain things. I love one of my favorite psalms, the Psalm 26. It's a psalm of ascents. It's what the people of Israel sang when they went up to worship. 
And listen to what, he, what they said. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. They're remembering when God blessed them. God's people are saying, you remember when God restored us, when we were far away and he brought us near again? We were like, it was like we were living a dream. We were caught in this incredible dream. Our mouths were filled with laughter then, and our tongues with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We were joyful. What they're saying is, God was doing so many incredible things, the nations couldn't help but notice that there was a God in Israel, and look at how he was blessing his people. New City Church, Edgerton, what an incredible thing you have to be a part of that the people in your community can say, look at what God is doing at New City Church. I know what that place was and I know what God is leading it into. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What an incredible opportunity you have to be a part of something. And you can celebrate all that God has done and look forward to all that He is doing. Because the Lord has done great things for you, the Lord has done great things for us, and we are joyful. The psalmist continues in 126 because it's not always that way. He says, This restore our fortunes, Lord, like water courses in the dry riverbed. He's saying, Lord, we are in a time of incredible dryness right now. God, we, we don't know where our jobs are, we don't know where our hope comes from. It's dry. We remember the good times, but it's not good right now. And so then what do they do? Verse 5 of Psalm 126 says, Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. Do you understand what that means? If you're a farmer, you have a bag of seed, and, and you go out, and you sow seeds in hope. Farmer can't make it rain. Farmer can't make the sun shine. Farmer sows in hope. He sows in hope. And oftentimes through tears, those of you sitting here today can think of those that you've, you've sowed seeds of the gospel in their life and you've done so with tears. You sow these seeds and you don't know what kind of fruit they're going to produce. You, you can't make the sun shine, you can't make the rain fall, but you pray. You pray with tears and you say, God, please let the sun, of, let the sun shine on their hearts. God, please let, let the rain of your truth fall on them, that they would, they would believe that's what Jesus does when he's gathering with his disciples. He's saying, listen, you're going to mourn soon. You're going to cry, and I'm going to cry. I'm breaking this bread with you, and I'm about to be broken. And I'm going to be poured out. My blood will be spent just as the wine's filling these glasses here. But I'm going to do that, and we're going to look forward to the time when we do this in the kingdom together. Because that's the next time this happens, friends. The next time we do this, we're, we're together in the great house of God. And we're gathering at our common table, and we're remembering everything that happened. And we're going to celebrate. We're going to cry. Back then we're crying tears. But now we're singing shouts of joy. The ending of the psalm says this. Though one goes along weeping, carrying the bag of seed, he will surely come back with shouts of joy, bringing in his sheaves. Jesus tells his disciples, Oh friends, you're, you're sowing in, in mournful. You're sowing in mourning right now. You're sowing with, with tears. But one day you're going to reap a harvest. And you're going to look back at all this harvest that you brought in when you bring in the sheaves. And Christian, those tears that you're sowing with right now and mourning for those that are far away and disconnected, sow in hope that you'll look back and rejoice one day, bringing in the sheaves of the harvest that God will give you. 
And if, and if, you, and if you don't know, just sow in hope anyway. Sow in hope anyway. So abundantly, so, so sacrificially. Give the gospel away freely to everyone that you know. Everyone that you see. So when we gather around the table, friends, we share, we build, and quickly we plan. We plan to invite those who missed out this time. I want to ask you again, who isn't at your table that needs to be at your table? Are they not there because of decisions they've made or decisions that you've made? Change that. What are some reasons we don't invite others to the table? Well, there are three, and I think there may be one more also, as I was reminded earlier. First, we're afraid. We're afraid. My friend Brad Briscoe says this. He says, the question is not how dangerous is the stranger. The real question is how dangerous will I become if I'm not more open? Oh, friends, the more that we live in isolation, the more dangerous we become. We become a danger to ourselves and others. Secondly, we don't feel we have anyone to invite. We're isolated. Friend, don't, be, don't let that be you. If you don't have anyone to invite, go make a friend this week. Maybe you don't invite because you don't know how to do it. If you're here this morning and you don't know how to invite others at your table, you know there's somebody else here that does. Right? Ask them to help you. Say, hey, I really want to invite someone, but my house is a disaster. Can you come help me clean it? I don't really know how to entertain people. Can you, can you come and help me? You help me know how to like do that and do it well. I do want to be sensitive to the fact there's some of you here that don't invite others because you simply don't have enough. Maybe you're here and life hasn't been kind to you lately. You don't feel like you have enough to share. Sometimes, friend, you need to be the one that's invited to the table. And if that's you this morning, don't let your pride get in the way of being the one who's blessed this season. Don't your pride be the thing that gets in the way from you being invited and, and being part of a blessing. We plan to invite those who missed out and we plan to do it again. That's what Jesus does in, in Luke 22 when he tells his disciples the following. He says, I fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you I won't eat it again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Again, as we talked about earlier, he says, listen, some bad stuff's about to happen. Some things are going to be hard. I'm going to cry. And you're going to cry. You're going to deny. You're going to run away. But when we get sit down at this table again, we'll do it in the kingdom. And it's going to be good. It's going to be good. As we get ready to move to a close this evening, I want to ask you again, who isn't at your table that needs to be and what's keeping you from inviting others? A couple takeaways. Invite people into your table but as you do that, make sure you invite them into your life as well. Don't just do this as an act of, of discipline or, or spiritual discipline. Invite people into your life. My hope is that you would invite people to worship at New City. Yes and amen. But as you do so, invite them into your life as well. Next, I encourage you to host an open table. At the end of the month, um, on the 31st, as we won't gather for worship here, Pastor Matt has put together a teaching for us, and that's an opportunity for you to invite people into an open table or to learn that a little bit more. But as we move to a close, we're going to use our time of response to worship through communion this morning, and, and Pete and some others are going to come back as we worship during that time. A little bit of instruction about communion. Here at New City, we practice open communion, 
And what that means is if you're here today and you consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus, we invite you to come forward and to share in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with us today. We invite you to come and to remember our big brother Jesus, to remember when he paid the penalty for us, to remember the life that he invites us into. But that that invitation doesn't come without some obligation also. And the obligation for you is to make sure that your heart is prepared to come and to take communion. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul reminds the church there that some of them are getting sick and even dying because they're taking communion in an unworthy manner. And so if you're here this morning and you know that there's some unconfessed sin in your life, there's some things that are creating barriers between you and God. Maybe it's an addiction, maybe there's some some indiscretion that's built up. Maybe there's something else that's this unconfessed part of your life. I encourage you to take some time to confess your sin. This is an opportunity for you to make your heart right with the Lord again, to ask Him for forgiveness and to seek reconciliation. Equally important, if not more, if you're here and you know that you have some kind of barrier between you and another brother or sister in Christ, you need to make sure that you are in right relationship with the rest of the body before you come and take communion this morning. I have a responsive reading for us that we'll read together as we worship. There's a section that says reader, and I'll read that, and then a section that says all, and that's where we'll respond together to what we've heard. So as we worship, let's say these words, and I'll begin. The table of bread is now to be made ready. It's the table of company with Jesus and all who love him. It's the table of sharing with the poor of the world with whom Jesus identified himself. It's the table of communion with the earth in which Christ became incarnate. So come to this table, you who have much faith, and you who would like to have more. Come to this table, you who have been here often, and you who have not been for a long time. Come to this table, you who have tried to follow Jesus, and you who have failed. Come, it is Christ who invites us to meet him here. Loving God, through your goodness, we have this bread and wine to offer, which has come forth from the earth and human hands have made. May we know your presence in the sharing so that we may know your touch and presence in all things. We celebrate the life that Jesus has shared among his community through the centuries and shares with us now. Made one in Christ and one with each other, we offer these gifts and with them ourselves a single living act of praise. On the night before Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, broke it, gave thanks and said, this is my body which is broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, this covenant is established by my blood. Take this for the remission of your sins. And often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. I invite you as you're ready to come forward and take communion and you can Make two lines along the outside, and there's two tables for you to do that. And as we prepare to worship through communion, let me pray for us. God, we thank you for your invitation to this meal. 
we thank you that it's something that you prepared for us. And it's a meal where we remember everything that you've done, Jesus. We remember everything and we pray for everything you're going to do. And we look forward to the time when we share together with our brothers and sisters in Christ from all around the world. God, but as we come to this table, we don't do so without examining our hearts. And we pray, Lord, that if there are things in our life that are keeping us from you, that you would, you would um, reveal those to us. God, forgive us for our sins of commission, the times when we've actively and willfully done what isn't pleasing to you. We pray that you would hear our prayer, heal us, and forgive us of our sin. God, we also pray that you'd forgive us for our omission, the times when we haven't done what you've called us to do, when we haven't given a cup of cold water in your name, when we haven't looked after orphans and widows. God, when we haven't stood up for those caught in injustice, we pray that you would hear our prayer, heal us, and forgive us of our sin. God, as we take this morning, help us to remember you always. And remember those who are far from you. We love you, Jesus, and we beg you for these things this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen.